If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're able, I'd like for you to stand with me as we read God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning as your children. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. We pray, O God, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would strengthen our faith in your Son, Jesus, that you would glorify his name in our presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, these first three verses of this passage are fairly popular and are frequently used to exhort and encourage us as believers in running the race of our Christian faith. We are encouraged to consider the believers of the Old Testament who never saw the coming of Christ, yet persevered in their faith. And we are told to lay aside everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us in order to run with endurance the race that has been marked out before us. 
We're also told to fix our, our gaze, fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has suffered and died for us and was raised from the dead and is now seated in heaven waiting to return for us. When we feel like growing weary or faint-hearted, we are told to remember what Jesus endured on our behalf, to consider the suffering that he endured in order to redeem us as his people. In short, we are to press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But there's a question nagging at me regarding this Christian race. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one in this room that's ever thought it. Why does it have to be so difficult? Why does it have to be so difficult? Honestly, all of the examples and illustrations in the New Testament of our, of our walk with Christ communicate effort, hard work, endurance, patience, suffering, and perseverance. The picture of the Christian life is not an easy one, but a difficult one. Any of you who have been believers for more than a short time know this to be true. Just because you've trusted in Jesus doesn't mean that you're exempt from difficulty in this life. In fact, your hardships may even increase because of your faith in Christ, especially if you're vocal about your faith. So why does it have to be so difficult? Whether physical, mental, or emotional infirmities, relationship challenges, or direct suffering and persecution because of our faith, what should be our mind, mindset toward these difficulties, toward these troubles and trials? In this life, this passage teaches us that we are to view our difficulties as God's discipline. These hardships are part of God's design. You see, we have a tendency to give in too easily to sin. We tend to grow weary in the race, so much so that the Holy Spirit tells us in verse 4 In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, this is an allusion to the blood shed by Jesus because of our sin, and it implies that we should be prepared to resist sin all the way to the point of death, just as he did. Yet we give in far before bloodshed. And it seems we make little progress in our lives in conquering sin. Because of this tendency to weakness and the presence of sin in us, God brings difficulties into our lives as forms of discipline. Verse 5 goes on with, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. The assumption of the author of Hebrews is that difficulty is discipline. And this will be our assumption as we look at this passage. In particular, there are two things that I want us to see about God's discipline. Number one, it is loving. It is loving. 
And number two, it is for our good. It is for our good. However, before we consider those two points, I think some clarification is necessary about the word discipline in this passage. This is not a reference to the specific act of church discipline, which we have practiced here in recent months. Although the act of church discipline is certainly one of the many forms that God's discipline can take, also I'd like to say that the word used for discipline here includes the idea of correction, training, and rebuking. But it also includes punishment. There's no way around it. Verse 6 reads, he punishes, or literally whips, or scourges, everyone he accepts as a son. Now regarding the words son or sons, which are used throughout this passage, these are a reference to all of us as God's children, males and females, all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now for the first point, God's discipline of us is loving discipline. His discipline is loving discipline. Again, in verse 5 we read, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Think about that for a moment. The writer is about to quote from an Old Testament passage regarding God's discipline of his children, and he refers to it as a word of encouragement. This implies that it is something positive, and it is because it is associated with our relationship to God as our Father. We are His children, and the Lord disciplines those He loves, according to verse 6. He disciplines those He loves. And again in verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons or children. In verse 8, If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. The foundation of God's discipline of us as his children is the fact that he loves us. He loves us so much that he cannot overlook disciplining us. He punishes everyone he accepts as a son, it says. And this presupposes that we need His loving discipline. And we do need it. But most of the time, we just don't believe that we need God's discipline because we're perfectly happy to go about doing whatever we want. And then we're shocked when He throws a wrench in our plans. Now, I grew up in a home with loving Christian parents. So it is relatively easy for me to understand this concept of God's loving discipline. I remember getting in trouble, and when I did something or said something wrong, corporal punishment was the norm in our household. But I was never abused, and there is a difference. Loving parents will discipline their children, not leave them to their own devices or give them everything they want. I understand that many of you here did not grow up in a loving family environment, or perhaps you grew up in an abusive environment where you never saw the proper exercise of loving discipline. This may make the idea of God's discipline of us first being loving a hard concept for you to understand. 
But it is critical that you allow your mind and conscience to be informed by God's word and not by your experience. While it is true that an abused child is an unloved child, it is also true that an undisciplined child is an unloved child. We've all seen children who are spoiled by their parents or whose parents lack the fortitude to discipline them when needed. And we recognize that it is lazy more than loving for a parent to sit idly by while their child terrorizes everyone around them. Those of us who are parents know that it is often easier to pretend we don't hear the inappropriate comments made by our children than to rebuke them or correct them. But we know that love must rebuke, correct, train, and sometimes punish. It should also be noted that while we grow out of discipline from our parents, we grow out of receiving discipline from our parents, at least in healthy parent-child relationships, we never grow out of receiving God's discipline. We never grow out of receiving God's discipline. Whether you are 8 years old or 88 years old, if you are a believer in Jesus, then you will experience God's loving discipline in your life. Prepare your heart and mind for this reality. Because God loves you, he will discipline you. And this leads me to our second observation. His discipline is for our good. It is for our good. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me again. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Again, there's the contrast between human and divine discipline. Our human fathers disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we respect and submit to the discipline of our Heavenly Father? Why? Well, because our human parents did what they thought was best for a short period of time in our lives. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness, is what the passage says. God brings hardship and difficulty into our lives in order to refine our faith and to reform our character. There is purpose in our suffering and meaning in our hardships. Our Heavenly Father wants us to share in His holiness. That is to say, He wants us to more accurately and adequately reflect the character of His Supreme Son, Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. If anything, 
this proves to make the discipline more difficult for us. And that's because we have too high a view of ourselves. Verse 11 states, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Well, this is magnified when we don't believe that we need discipline. Again, I remember being disciplined as a child. My parents would say things like, This is for your own good, son. Or, I'm doing this because I love you. Or my personal favorite, This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Later, as I sat wallowing in my own pity, I would think, how could this punishment be for my good? It only hurts me, not him. And what does love have to do with it? These childish perspectives gave way to mature ones as I grew up and understood that my parents were seeking to form Christian character in me. But at the time, it was very painful, and I could not see the purpose of it. This may very well be the place that some of you are at in your spiritual walks right now. You may be questioning God's purpose. You may be questioning his purpose for your life in the midst of some painful trials. You may feel beaten down by the circumstances or people in your life. The physical or emotional pain you are going through may seem to be more than you can bear. The anguish of your soul can make breathing difficult as you feel the stress pressing down on you and the anxious thoughts taking over your mind. Overwhelmed. That's how you feel. Though you may not even be able to say it. Life is often painful and fraught with difficulties. But I want you to change your mindset about your hardships and trials. It is my purpose today to encourage you in the midst of your difficulty to not make light of the Lord's discipline. View your hardship as God's discipline. He wants you to share in His holiness and reflect the character of Jesus Christ in your life. He wants you to learn how to crucify yourself and live your life fully trusting in Him. He wants to break down arrogance, anxiety, envy, lust, self-righteousness, insecurity, Greed, laziness, immorality, hatred, bitterness, filthy language, gluttony, impure thoughts, and every other form of self-centeredness in our lives. He wants us to be Christ-centered and Christ-like. 
we just don't perceive how far from Christ-likeness we really are. We have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in our striving against sin. Now I want you to consider some other passages from the New Testament with me that address this issue. But as we read them, listen for the refining of our faith and the reforming of our character in these passages. From Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 25. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, reading through chapter 5, verse 5. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith to this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That is the hope of the return of Christ that is produced in our character through perseverance in suffering. Turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces or develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And a few more pages over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And chapter 4 of 1 Peter, just a few chapters over. Starting with verse 12. Verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, each of these passages contains some element of the refining of our faith or the reforming of our character as we persevere through trials, persecution, hardship, or suffering. And in each passage, just as in the passage in Hebrews, the ultimate goal is Christ-likeness. And an increase in our joy through these trials as we look forward to our eternal hope the return of Christ. And there is a correlation between the degree to which we rejoice and are sanctified in these trials and the degree to which we rejoice and are rewarded at Christ's return. If you do not long for his return right now, how happy do you think you will be when he actually does return? On the other hand, If we hope for what we do not yet have, according to Romans chapter 8, we will wait patiently for it, even through the difficulties of this life. Now I realize that there are bound to be some of you here who are not truly trusting in Jesus Christ. Some of you may even think that you are, but your faith is not genuine. This message should serve as a warning to you from two perspectives. First, if you are not running the race of faith, if you are continuing in your life of sin, but naming Jesus Christ as your Lord while experiencing little or no discipline in your life, beware. Your freedom from discipline is not evidence of some privileged position that you hold. The reverse is actually true. Only illegitimate children are without discipline. Second, you may not be trusting in Christ and know that you're not. And it may be because of the hardships that you faced in your life. It could be that because of the pain and difficulty you have experienced, you refuse to believe that there could be a God. But especially not a loving God who uses trials and life to drive us to faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. To you I would say, take the anger, frustration, hatred, and bitterness in your heart that you feel because of the pain in your life and lay them at the nail-scarred feet of the loving Jesus Christ who suffered more 
than you could ever imagine for our sins. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christians, some of you may be wondering, how do I know if this particular difficulty I'm going through is discipline for some specific sin? Well, sometimes there are specific acts of sin for which God will bring discipline. However, just because you cannot think of one at the time doesn't mean that you haven't sinned. It is safer to assume that God is disciplining you and better for you to ask him to refine your faith and reveal your sin to you as a matter of your character. But for clarification, this sermon is not intended to cause over-analysis of difficulties in our lives. I've said that God disciplines his children because he loves us and because it is for our good. It's been said that true love always wants what's best for the person who is loved. You see, God cannot sit idly by and leave us to our own devices. He wants to strip away the sin from our souls and strip away the false hopes and the things that we trust in that compete for the exclusive seat of Lord of our lives, which only belongs to Jesus Christ. You see, God is not, as C.S. Lewis once said, a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. He is not. He is determined for you to find joy in his Son, Jesus Christ, whom he crushed for our sins. And if it pleased him to crush his only Son, to satisfy his wrath, and make us his children, do you not think that it would please him to discipline us in this life in order to make us partakers of his holiness? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, verse 14 says. And seeing the Lord is what is best for us in this life and in the life to come. May your joy overflow in Christ as you trust in him through your difficulties. Please stand with me as I close in prayer. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of being called your children. We thank you for letting us share in your holiness. Help us to praise you now and to persevere through our difficulties. In Jesus' name, amen.